Well, this morning is our 10th lesson on this series. Uh, Noah asked me, I think last week or the week before, said, how many lessons are in this series? Well, just about everything in the Bible we could, we could uh, teach under this uh, heading of it's all about love. Uh, and today we're going to teach on that series again. And uh, let's just start with prayer. Lord Jesus, we love you today. We thank you for your great blessings in our life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, God, for this beautiful weather. Lord, this beautiful day. Lord, we thank you, O oh God, for our church family. Lord, many of them have been blessed to be able to take a vacation. We ask you, Lord, to keep your hands of protection them on them as they travel. And Lord, let this be a wonderful, blessed holiday for them. Let it be just full of grace, full of blessing. And uh, keep your hands upon them all. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you bless those that are here now and will be here in the next little while. Uh, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come down and visit us. I pray, God, that you'd bless us especially. And those that may be watching online, Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'd like to do an exercise. Uh, I'd like you to just close your eyes and take a deep breath and breathe it out. Our life in, in simple form can be summarized in the unthinking act of breath, respiration. And we know because what the Bible says, God breathed into Adam the breath of life and I see it this way God breathed in and Adam breathed out and that miracle of life respiration uh, we experienced that ourselves in fact I remember at least one of my children when they were born I remember them smacking them on the behind to cause them to take that deep breath of course, usually they would scream out. I remember one of them in particular gave out one of the most chilling screams ever heard in the history of time. It was Nate. <laughs> <coughs> and uh, breath, breath, it is, it is this natural, uh, in, in, instinctual, natural process of breathing in, and breathing out, and that is life, and we live it until that stops. And when you no longer are able to breathe in, and therefore not able to breathe out, our natural life ends. But our natural life is instinctual, but our spiritual life requires... Um, thought it requires uh, us to instigate that because it's supernatural and so even though many of us look back and we remember when we were born of the water and the spirit just because we've been born of the spirit we do not naturally breathe live re enjoy the process of a spiritual life simply because we've been born again we are able to walk a spirit-filled life because we put forth the 
intentional choice to spiritually allow the breath of God to breathe in us and breathe out of us. It's not natural. It is something that requires our effort. In Genesis chapter 2 and 7, the Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into him the breath of and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So we are God-breathed. And I had the, the, just the momentary connection that our, as we are God-breathed, his word is God-breathed. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God, the breath of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, that that that, that which helps us to live a spirit-filled life is when we recognize that God's word are are characters and words and pages that tell us about the love of God. Everything God has done toward us as, as men and women is He has done that from an impulse of love. Yeah, I believe the scripture shows that when God moved upon the, the face of the waters and God spoke and said, let there be light and and the Bible says that he created the stars and the moon and uh, he created the, 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 the beasts of the field and the, uh, the, the grass and the flowers and the birds and, and the fish. And the, his final creative act was the creation of man because man was his purpose in all of creation was to create a place, an environment where that which would be made in his image would have a place to not just live, but to have quite an environment. We have a fish tank at our house. At some point in our life, one of our children bought a, uh, um, an axolotl. It's a fish, an amphibian. It's an interesting looking beast. And uh, he has an aquarium. And in that aquarium, there's some fake plants and some rocks. And every once in a while, my wife will drop his food in there. And, and it's a pretty sparse life for that little axolotl. But when God created us, he gave us the universe as our aquarium, if you will, as the environment in which we would live. And his impulse is from a place God is love. And for us, as those that are made in his image, the way that we receive God's intent for us is that we love him as he loves us. The, the, the first and great command is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. And the reason why love is command, because we must recognize 
that all of our affections that we have are things that we have cultivated. If a person loves to fish, they cultivated that love. If a person loves to go to the races, they cultivated that love. If a person loves to go to church, they cultivated that love. And so you can, you can collect thimbles, uh, you can collect uh, statues of uh, little babies and little girls or whatever. You cultivate things that you choose to love. And so we make a conscious decision of what we will love. Uh, and you can love anything. People love to go sit in cold water in the middle of the winter and shoot ducks. That's not natural. <laughs> you don't just wake up and say, oh, man, I want to be cold. I want to be in the water in the wind. You cultivate that because there's something in that, whether it's the social experience or the magic of the bird or the beauty of the... You cultivate that. And I think it's a very important is sometimes people don't realize you really can, you can have the life you want. A person, if they want to, they can, because of God's fingerprint on them, an individual can do almost anything. And you look in the world of billionaires, you look in the world of, of uh, scientists or inventors, a person could bend their brain on something, and if they work at it, if it's physically possible, and they have the time and the resources, um, I mean, they invented a light bulb. And if you think about just how amazing that invention is, I, uh, Brother Bowman, I look at just the miracle of someone figured out how to make an engine. You know, the, the process of putting gas in a chamber and sparking it at the right time. It all runs together. I mean, we take those things for granted. But that is a genius that humanity did not have for most of our history. And so my point is, we, we all will love something. And we have a choice. And the, 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 the Lord wanted to impress upon his people while you have an opportunity to choose what you love I command you to love me with all your heart your mind your soul your strength because I made you and for you to experience the best I have you will experience it within a committed covenant with me that that follows after me and you choose to love me. It's all about love. Amen. I, I don't always look at all my notes. You know, love, John 3.16 says, uh, For God so loved how many can quote it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. 
But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You know, there are a lot of things about our country. I have my patriotism around my neck today, and uh, this is Memorial Day weekend. And uh, the purpose of Memorial Day weekend is to remember the honored dead, those who died in the pursuit, the preservation of liberty. And I know our country is imperfect, and I think it's never been more imperfect than it is today. But though it is flawed, it is still the best country in the world. There are literally millions of people waiting on our border that we want to leave America. And so for all its scars and all of its troubles, at this point, it is still the land of promise, liberty, and freedom. And that did not happen without cost. If you study the the fate of the signers of the Declaration, they not only pledged their treasure and honor, they died for that treasure and honor. And and America has become, uh, I believe through the providence of God, one of the greatest tools of evangelism throughout this world. There are right now great harvests of souls on every continent of the world in no small part to the, the, the prayers and the financial sacrifice of people who believe in Jesus, love Jesus, right here in these United States, have built orphanages, they are drilling for water, they're doing all kinds of things, not because the government requires it of them, but because from their heart they want to do good for the world. And of all the things that we can do good for the world, the greatest good we can do is to introduce someone about Jesus Christ because he changes lives. He changes lives. And no doubt we believe in the dynamic of the spiritual conversion of being born again. There is a spiritual reality But there is a companion to the reality of the spiritual experience. And that companion reality is when our spiritual experience is is married to the word of God. There is there for us a combination, a a, uh, a recipe, a, a, a way of life, a way of living that provides the best place for children that best provides the best uh, environment for a marriage. No doubt there are people that are believers that have terrible marriages. And in every case, it's because one or both of them are not living in a way that honors the Word of God in their life. Amen. Amen. It's all about love. <clears throat> I read this this morning. And as we are capable as preachers, we can fit almost anything to any sermon. (laughs) But I I made a connection for me. Uh, It is said that Eskimos have over a hundred words for snow. Can anybody guess why they have so many words for snow? Because they live in a a world of snow. I have read, I actually heard a podcast for uh, Bible translators 
the process of translating the Bible into the Inuit language, one of the hardest things is there it was no word in the Eskimo language for tree because there are no trees where there's all that snow. It's, they live in the Arctic place. And, but in the, in the same way, the Bible has almost a thousand words for God. And as a believer, just as snow has so many descriptions for the Eskimo, for the believer, our world is, is, is a, a God-based worldview. And, and we know him as provider. We know him as deliverer. We know him as healer. We know him as shepherd. We know him as protector. Come on, somebody. We know him as merciful. We know him as, as a way maker. How many times have you been broke and didn't know how you're going to pay your bills? Thank you, Jesus. And some of our children don't know what that's like. They don't even know because that they've lived under the umbrella of the blessings of the Lord that are inherited. And so uh, when we talk about the love of God and the environment we live in because of the love of God, the benefit of, those love, of that love, you know, we probably, I, I, I would not say that we are in the most racially divisive time in America. The 60s, pre-60s, uh, you, you go back, uh, there has been racial division throughout the history of America. But this is not an American story, it's a story of humanity. Racism is a part of the human condition. If you go to Belize today, every race of people lives in a different neighborhood. And if you go to Europe, you'll see that still to this day, there are lines where people have fought from time immemorial, and it's a different race, it's a different culture, it's a different, uh, and th there's that division. Where'd the division come from? The Tower of Babel. Man was unified in their opposition to God, and God made a decision. And he cursed man. And the curse of Babel is he created this, the, the, the environment where racism divided mankind. He chose, I would rather men be divided against one another than for them to be united against me. And so I, I say that to say that, that we, we live in, in, in a, a race racialized country but if you look at what happened in scripture I believe that the, the solution for all of this division is to find our commonality of purpose and desire and love is that when we become a part of the kingdom the Bible proclaims there is neither Jew nor Greek <laughs> There's neither bond nor free. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. We are all one in Christ. And that's the reason why that in the book of Acts chapter 2, there were uh, uh, dwellers there in Jerusalem from all the reaches of the world. One of the first uh, converts in the Bible was an Ethiopian eunuch. 
Everybody say it's all about love. It's all about love. And at the end of the day, last Sunday, brother, I asked Brother Ryan to teach on, on the seven words of praise. And while he was teaching, it's a great lesson. And it's basically expressions that are in the Old Testament concerning the Jews and how they praise God. Uh, Toda, Yoda, not Yoda, Yoda, uh, Hallel, uh, all of these words, and you know, one of a couple of them are to to extend your hand, or one is to uh, to say praise the Lord out loud. There's a word for praise that means to to to, to dance. These are all words of expression of praise to God. And as I was sitting there, as we as ministers are prone to do, I, I was kind of looking for other words. And there is this one word, avodah. The avodah, it is, it, is a, it, is a, it is a Hebrew word that has two definitions. Say that with me, avodah. Avodah. And that word is translated as work and praise. Work and praise. And, and essentially the point is, the ancient Hebrews had a deep understanding of how faith and work come together in their lives. And so it shouldn't be surprising then that they used the same word for work and worship. The Hebrew word for Abadah jointly means work, worship, and service. The various usage of the Hebrew word found first in Genesis 2.15 tells us that God's original design and desire is that work and our worship would be a seamless way of living. And you see this word in Joshua 24 and 15. But as for me and my household, we will serve Avodah, the Lord. That this is a, an image that we should think about concerning the word working in the fields is the same word used for worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Avodah is a picture of an integrated faith, a life where work and worship come from the same root, the same foundation. So often people think of worship as something they do on Sunday, as a work they do on Monday. And this dichotomy is neither what God designed nor what He desires for our lives. Avodah, on the other hand, suggests that our work can be a form of worship where we honor the Lord God I thought it was doors slamming outside. We'll see. Hello, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. It's up here, I think. Those that are watching, you may wonder what's going on. It's the drone. Anyway, uh, we've got some type of thumping going on in here. Amen. The angels are showing up. Amen. We're going to have a miraculous service. Avodah. Avodah. <clears throat> Colossians 3, 16 and 17, the Bible says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts 
to the Lord God. Verse 17, And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So it wasn't the drums? Thank you, buddy. So I think that, and, and I, I experienced this personally uh, with my father. Um, uh, my dad, he's here, and he would tell you he's not a perfect man. But I'm not going to sit here and go down his list of imperfections. Thank God. Love, love covers a multitude of sins. But I, I know that while I worked with my father, my father, uh, he did live this out. He, he talked to Jesus. He talked about Jesus. Anybody would stand still long enough, he was going to talk to them about Jesus. And, and I did learn, uh, just see that lived out in his life. He really did see worship of God, not just something that he did in church, but he also did that while he was at work. And I truly believe that this is the way, the way God intended for us to live our life. You know, Adam and Eve had a job to do before the fall. Now, we understand that after the fall, the Lord cursed Adam that he would eat his bread by the sweat of his brow. And we see this. Many people sweat in the sun. Other people sweat at their death. In the stress of the mind, in the things that are done, it's hard work. You know, somebody digging a ditch might look at a teacher and say, man, you got it made. But I would say some teachers say, I think I'd rather dig a ditch sometime. Right? And so it, no matter what level of labor you do, the curse of sin that we eat our bread by the sweat of our brow. But Adam had a job. I would say Eve was a part of that. Had a job before the fall. Their job was to keep the garden. Their job was to be sure that they took care of that paradise God gave them. And I think that in the new covenant, we have access to a paradise. We still have to live in the real world, but the way that we live in a kingdom-centric reality is that, that we um, purposely choose to exist in a kingdom reality. The Bible says in John chapter 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. But just because you've been born again and you can see it and you can enter it, just because you've been born again don't mean that you're looking at it. It doesn't mean you're going to go in. Because the kingdom of God, no doubt there is a reality of heaven but the kingdom of God is here. We have access to the kingdom. I don't mean like, you know, being the president of your lone world planet. I'm talking about the kingdom of God as we live and we think and we operate in a different dimension than people that haven't been born again. 
An example of that is John in the book of Revelation. He had, they tried to kill him. They, they couldn't kill him. They boiled him in oil. Couldn't kill him. So they finally put him on a, a prison island. He's there for the gospel, the testimony of Jesus Christ. He could have told us all kinds of chapters of how much trouble he had. But he gave us one sentence. I was on the Isle of Patmos. But for 20 some odd chapters, 22 chapters in the book of Revelation, he doesn't tell us about his trouble. He tells us about his revelation, his experience, his blessing, his glory. And all of us, doesn't matter how much you have experience in God every day, we have to choose. This is what John says. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I believe as a believer, we have, a, we have an opportunity on Monday to Sunday, Sunday to Saturday. We have an opportunity to say, I am going to be in the Spirit today. I'm going to take the breath of God's Spirit in and I am going to praise God in my day, whether I'm digging a ditch or teaching a class or figuring out numbers or doing paperwork or whatever it is that I find myself having to do, I have the opportunity to choose that I ever die to the Lord, serving the Lord, whatever I do in word or deed, to do it all as a praise to Jesus. The scripture says, it was uh, in the book of Psalms, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. And uh, I have said this to my children. I think they would remember me saying it because I know I said it to them many times. I said, I would rather than dig ditches and live for God than be a king or a president not living for God. Because there is a simple blessing in just living in peace and contentment and loving Jesus. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Because there's all kinds of things that we can fill our life with. But as a believer, we make a conscious decision I will discipline myself to be sure that all I do, all I say I am trying to discipline myself to love the Lord you know Jesus said <clears throat> uh, at the conclusion of his sermon on the mount you've heard me say this many times I say this for the benefit of Brother Bowman in case he needs to hear this that a new believer, many times people come to the Lord because they're broke, they're sick, they're confused, uh, uh, they're bound, they are having trouble in their life. So like many people in the scripture, and probably all of us have experienced, in their trouble they cry out to the Lord, Oh God, help me. Oh God, forgive me. Oh, get me out of this. 
And the Lord, in His grace, comes down and will forgive someone, will deliver someone, will provide for someone. And they're like, wow, I feel so much better. Things are turning around. And I tell them, new believers, I tell them, the bottom line is you're feeling better. But if you want to have a better life, you're going to have to live a different life. Because you cannot keep living like you're living and expect a different result just because you love Jesus. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he gave all these uh, really uh, uh, prescriptions to live in a life of peace that are against our human nature. Jesus said if someone smites you on the cheek, what did he say? Turn the other cheek. If someone asks you to go a mile, go two miles. If someone does you wrong, uh, do good for them. If someone curses you, pray for them. It is a, it's it's anti-logical. It's against our normal way of thinking that we would we would get, respond to people in an opposite way. And if if a person wants to live a better life, if they'll study and make known to themselves to where it's right there in their heart and mind to live according to the Sermon on the Mount. They will raise their standard of living like his. And that's what Jesus taught. You know, do, do, if, uh, if you forgive, you got to forgive. You know, I think more people will go to hell because they didn't forgive than, than, than practice witchcraft and, and are operating in sexual immorality. People will go to hell for bitterness more than they will for all this other stuff. They may be in bitterness and do all this other stuff, but the reason why many people will go to hell is because they refuse to let wrongs go. Has anybody anybody been done wrong? Right? I, I know that probably the most hurtful things I've experienced happen in the environment of the church. I've had preachers disappoint me. I've had people in the church do me wrong. But at the end of the day, I, I had to come to a, a, a realization, first of all, if they keep doing like that, they're not going to go to heaven, and I don't want to go to hell with them, right? But I also don't want them to go to hell. And so you pray, Lord God, I pray you bless that person that did me wrong. Lord, help brother so-and-so repent and find his way. Lord, I don't know why he's having such a bad day that he treated me so terrible, but Lord, help him. And we have to cultivate this mindset where we don't see everything that happens in our life as the world revolves around me. The world doesn't revolve around me. The truth of the matter is, there's only a few people outside the church that care about you. Who cares about you? What do you notice if you died? How long is that list? Right? So why would you let these people that don't give a a rip about you to ruin your day, right? I hope that's not a short for a bad word. But, pe you know, people don't care. People are so wrapped up in themselves. And sometimes we allow people that are selfish, self-centered, uh, they're having a bad day. We let them ruin our life. But the Lord saved us that we're not held bound to other people's problems. We don't have to be bound by our own problems. And, and Jesus taught these things in the Sermon on the Mount that, that we should operate with people 
from a position that I love you. I want you to be saved. I want God's blessing in your life. I don't wish anything bad on anybody. I'm so glad that when we get to heaven, they're not going to say, hey, you come up here and sit on this white throne. I don't want that job. That's not my job. Jesus says, who are you to judge another? Now, preaching the truth of the scripture can sound judgmental. (laughs) Truth by its very nature is offensive. And and we have a responsibility to say this is right and this is wrong. This is what the Word of God says. That's not, that's not being judgmental. Truth of the matter is the greatest act of love is for you to tell someone the truth in wisdom at the right time and given the opportunity. You know, the, the Word of God is intended to be a, a, a scaffold to help people remove things that will kill them. But it's never intended to be an offensive weapon to hurt and destroy people. Some people use the Bible as a bat to beat people over the head. That's, that's not God's purpose with his word. His word is to, to be a light unto our feet and a, a lamp to our pathway. His purpose of the word of God is to lead us into the paths of righteousness. And I know we have been around people and we have experienced people that operate in a spirit of condemnation and they use the word of God. The devil quotes the scripture. So just because someone can quote the scripture don't make them of God. The greatest tools of the devil are preachers. The scripture says that Satan himself comes as an angel of light and it is no wonder that his messengers come dressed up like preachers. That's what the Bible says. So the greatest challenge we have to do is have discernment to say, you got to know the word to discern error. And you can discern error not just by what people say. You can discern error not just by what people do. You can discern what is the motivation by someone by discerning the spirit that's operating in them. And our core motivation towards the individual must be from a place of love even when you seem to be the target of their hate. It is all about love. My final point, Matthew 26, there's a woman that comes to Jesus having an alabaster box. Priceless ointment. Some say that the value of that would have been equal to a year's or more's worth of a labor. People made a penny a day. It's worth much money. When she broke the box and she anointed the feet of Jesus, someone, Judas more than likely, maybe others, criticized her. What a waste. This could have been sold and given to the poor. He wasn't thinking about the poor. He wanted that money. He was the one that held the bag. But the bottom line is Jesus looked at these that were being critical of her worship and he said, Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also that this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. Jesus said, hey, while you're preaching about the cross and preaching about the death 
the preaching about resurrection, there is a companion message of the gospel, and it is a message of worship, where we worship the Lord with our best. We give him that which is, is precious to us. And if you are going to truly live for God, you are going to have to learn how to integrate into your faith a dimension that is willing to pay any price, to stay any amount of time, to work, to, to sweat any amount of sweat, to do whatever it takes that you bring yourself in a place of complete submission in your love for God. And that's not going to happen on accident. You're going to have to make a personal decision. This is worth my effort of making it a priority. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I love you today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love toward me. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you, O oh God, would take these simple words, Lord, and help them to be uh, the, the, the material for you dealing and working and speaking to our hearts. Oh, how I love you, Jesus. You have been so good to me. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you, O oh God, would help us to be aware of your great blessings that we enjoy because of the wonderful, righteous, holy, prayerful, godly people that you've put in our lives. I thank you for each one. I pray that you bless them above and beyond that their dreams or prayers. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. About seven minutes or so, we'll start church. It's...